podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS Missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. So, you've ever heard the expression, having your head handed to you on a platter? I wondered where that came from? Now you know. It's one of a great number of proverbs that exist in our English language that come from scripture, although nowadays most people have no idea of that fact. Well, what does it all mean? We just celebrated two months ago, John the Baptist's nativity. In fact, it is our national holiday in here in Quebec, June 24th. And it's a day full of promise because we've all been through a long winter and then a so-so spring, sometimes hot, sometimes not, sometimes a little bit of both. And we're all anticipating great things. All the things that we look forward to in summer, being able to be outside and go hiking and go camping and see the great outdoors and visit family and have a little bit of a rest from work. And the birth of John the Baptist kind of mirrors that impression that we have that summer is going to bring great things. We start the account of the nativity of John the Baptist with a childless couple an elderly childless couple who have been waiting, as most Jewish couples do, for the birth of a child. And after a long time of waiting, finally, the day comes for Elizabeth and Zechariah to gaze together upon the face of their first baby. John, they name him. That baby who would be called the prophet of the Most High for a Zechariah saying, you will go before the Lord to prepare the way. Much like in the spring, we're preparing for our summer vacations, lining up cabins and campsites and time off from work. So too, there's Elizabeth and Zechariah and all the people of Israel lining up great things for John. A birth full of promise and expectation. As Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 2, many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Those were the kind of prophecies that were sitting in the back of the minds of the people that celebrated that birth of John, who would go on to be known as the baptizer. But that's not how the story ends, is it? where we might have thought that the one who was supposed to make straight paths for the Lord would have a victory pass straight to Jerusalem to announce the coming of the Messiah, and Rome would scatter in disarray, and Israel's king would be established, and all would be well, and everybody would live happily ever after. That's not at all what happens with John's story or the story of Israel. Instead of Hallelujah, praise the Lord, the Lord has come. The last words we hear about John are some of the ugliest in history. For what should I ask? The head of John the Baptist on a platter. 
And instead of a triumphant victory parade for John, what we have is the picture of dejected followers coming to recover the body of their teacher and presumably his head and to lay them to rest. That is a what do we do now moment. That is not just coming to the fork in the road. That is coming to like the multi-pronged roundabout in the road for those disciples. What do we do now? Where do we go? Where's the path leading? Where's the map? We thought we knew where this was going, just like you thought you knew where the summer was going to go. And yet you come to the end, and it's not really at all what you expected. So we might think of other words of the prophets, like Jeremiah. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. No straight path there, but a crooked, windy path up the side of a forbidding mountain range. And thinking about how John the Baptist's story ends and how people might have anticipated it to end and the, the gap between the expectation and the reality made me think of all things of a 16th century Spanish mystic, St. Teresa of Avila. Now, she was a Spanish noblewoman who left her high position, kind of like Francis of Assisi did, to become an intense follower of Jesus Christ. She became a nun. And she was a companion of the other famous Spanish mystic, John of the Cross. In fact, in 1970, Teresa was made the first female doctor of the church by Pope Paul VI. The most famous story associated with her goes like this. And you'll see when you get to the end of the story, if you follow along with me on her path, why I immediately connected her the beheading of John the Baptist. On her way to found new convents for her reformed Carmelite order, Teresa writes this, we had to run many dangers. At no part of the road were the risks greater than within a few leagues of Burgos at a place called Los Pontes. The rivers were so high that the water in places covered everything. Neither road nor the smallest footpath could be seen, only water everywhere and two abysses on each side. It seemed foolhardiness to advance, especially in a carriage, for if one strayed ever so little off the road, which at that point was invisible, one must have perished. Now, at that point, her companions relate that seeing their alarm, she turned to them and encouraged them because, you know, that's what Christians do when they see people around them in a panic. Do not fear. And she says to them, as they were engaged in doing God's work, how could they die in a better cause? And she led the way ahead of them on foot. Of course, the current ended up being so strong that she lost her footing and was on the point of being carried away when our Lord finally sustained her. Oh, my Lord, she exclaimed with her usual loving familiarity. When will you cease from scattering obstacles in our path? Do not complain, daughter. The divine master answered, 
for it is ever thus that I treat my friends. Ah, Lord, she replied, it's also on that account that you have so few. John did everything that our Lord required of him, demonstrated steadfast faithfulness to the word, steadfast devotion to the task that was set before him to call the people of Israel to repentance, steadfastness by the river Jordan in baptizing everyone who came to him for the forgiveness of sins. For all his trouble, he was beheaded and buried never getting to see the resurrected Christ in his glory. So what does that mean for us here? 21st century, sitting at 865, 855 Jari, Montreal. Well, the reality is, no matter how devoted and how learned all of us are as Christians, we are still human. And we very much like the blue, sunny skies. We do not like the gray clouds and the thunder and lightning and would be perfectly happy if the storms of life would stay hidden over the horizon. We all want clear paths. Lord, tell me which fork in the road to take. Tell me which exit from the roundabout. Show me a straight path. Do like Dorval Airport and have the lights all lit up so I know exactly where to go. And we think that somehow the Lord will not only answer our prayer, but make our Christian path, all sweetness and light. Fluffy bunnies, and light clouds all the way. There are a great many people in the United States that for reasons that are absolutely unclear to me, including a lot of politicians who have begun quoting Isaiah chapter six and putting it on their campaign posters and in all of their advertising. The part of Isaiah chapter six that goes, here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? Maybe you know the song. I have heard you calling in the night. Here I am. Send me. What's interesting is they never quote the next part. Where the Lord goes on to say to Isaiah, who has responded to this call to go by saying, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Oh, it's all great, as Emily is going to do in just a few short weeks, to stand up and say, I have answered the call, Lord, to serve you. I will walk the path that you lay before me. The hard part is when you realize that that path might lead to places that you simply were not anticipating. That you might well get to the point of Teresa of Avila of saying, Lord, why do you keep dropping boulders in front of the path that you're asking me to walk? Why do you keep allowing the floodwaters to rise? Or even worse, the place where you find yourself in a dungeon and you hear the steps coming towards you and you know what's coming next. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the reality is that before sometimes we get to say rejoice for the Lord is near, we have to say repent 
for the Lord is near. Sometimes before we get to share the good news about what God has done in Jesus Christ, we have to be the bearers of awful news that people simply do not want to hear. You have your brother's wife, and it's not right. You've cheated the poor and the oppressed out of what is theirs and made it yours. That's not right. You have abandoned the widow and abandoned the orphan, and it's not right. You have not loved your neighbor as yourself. And you and I have most definitely not loved the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, and with all our strength. We justly deserve God's punishment, you and I. Why we say that every single Sunday, lest we get lulled into a sense of complacency on the path on which Jesus is leading us. And the reality is, when we say those things, sometimes the world just wants to behead us. Like it wanted to behead John. Just be quiet already. And let us do what we want. Like John the Baptist, we will not allow the world to simply continue to descend into an abyss. When we see the anger and the bitterness and the hatred and the violence that we choose to execute one against the other, it is our responsibility to say this is not the path of Christ. This is not the reason why the Lord God's only son mounted a cross and bled and died. It is not the reason why we have been baptized to join in with this sort of horrendousness that we execute on one another. It is our calling to say repent. For the Lord is near, even when calling people to repentance does not lead us down a pleasant path. You see, the lesson of John the Baptist, both the nativity at the beginning of summer and his beheading at the end of summer, and it is no coincidence that those festivals bookend this time of wonderful getting outside and enjoying natureness of the Northern Hemisphere. The lesson of these two festivals is that Christianity, this thing we call the faith, is not the best road or the smoothest road or the fastest road through life. It is the right road. And so as Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Super easy to find. Just follow your own nature and ambition and desires. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Because it's hard. And it's rough. And it's winding. And sometimes the waters are rising on either side. And sometimes there's an abyss on both sides of the path. And sometimes the path seems to almost disappear. And sometimes it is so rough that we think we cannot go on. And yet it's in those moments that God sends us each other to remind us that our Lord already has gone ahead of us. And that he has baptized us into his name for such a journey as this. 
John the Baptist knew he was not called to the best or smoothest or fastest road. And he knew it because his father had been saying it from the time he was born. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way. And since when has the path of any prophet been easy? If you're not sure about that or you don't necessarily want to take my word for it, go back and flip through the Old Testament tonight. And the same is true for us, for our journeys. In fact, one can best summarize the Christian faith in the words that we just sang. Lord, give us faith to walk where you are sending. On paths unmarked, eyes blind as to their ending, not knowing where we go, but that you lead us. With grace, proceeds. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.